Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Fire for them, fire for them. If you're looking for that 35 bag umbrella and all damn thing there, Keep it locked with this Unomics podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to hashtag Disunomics Podcast. This is episode 109. As is the tradition, a shout out to listeners who listened to the previous week's episode. Not that many of you. And I've realised every time I do like a proper politics episode, they're usually the least um, popular episodes. And I understand politics is boring, but you lot can't be complaining about what happens after the facts. If you don't keep up to date with the everyday stuff, it doesn't make sense. If you keep up the everyday stuff, then you can apply pressure to the politicians who are effing up every day. And then that's how accountability works. That is the cornerstone of democracy because if you don't keep the people that you vote to act on your behalf accountable, they'll just do hickey hagger. If we look at Windrush, the massive fuss the public caused actually pushed the government into some form of action. And if the public didn't cause such a big hoo-ha, would there have been similar level of activity in a, such a time period? I highly doubt it. But yeah, make sure you check that out. Episode 108, Trexit, Theresa May obviously um, announcing her resign retirement, not res- retirement, res- her resigning of Prime Minister and leader of the Conservative Party. And I also go through her tenure as Prime Minister and leader of the Conservative Party. She had seven big issues she wanted to address and I analyse her performance in those so when you are shaping your opinion on Theresa May at least it will be more informed rather than kind of hate that woman man. she's annoying anyway don't forget Trending Sundays every Sunday at Trending Sundays on Instagram Trending without a G um, last week was jumping that was bank holiday weekend it was pack out and we had fun people loads of people were outside doing shisha I don't do shisha but the shisha people them enjoyed having drinks mingling having a good time eating good food dancing all that good stuff every single Sunday um, tickets are 8 to £10 whether you get them in advance or on the door shisha ain't that expensive go on shubs.com or check me or my boy Big Man Yus's, um Instagram page anyways this week's podcast it's another political, economical one. The title is Dysonomics After All. And we are talking about a country you may or may not have heard of, and it's called Venezuela. Venezuela, situated in Southern America, as it pertains to the economy, I'll leave the North London philosopher to give his analysis on how it's currently looking there. Oh, see, not much light can be shed on that one there, car. It's a, 
It's a bit of a sticky one still. Venezuela is knee deep in political and economical crisis. In regards to the political one, they have two rival politicians claiming to be the country's legit leader. So imagine um, Theresa May, not Theresa, I don't know who, probably Boris is probably going to win in it. So imagine Boris and Corbyn at proper, I was like, nah, man, when does, nah, bro, it's me, it's me, it's me. For the last um, two decades, Venezuela has been governed by the socialist PSUV party. And for those who don't know what socialist means, it's quite simply somebody who favours socialism. And socialism is a political and economic theory of social organisation which advocates that, that the means of production, distribution and exchange should be owned or regulated by the community as a whole. In layman's terms, the people, as in everybody as a whole, should own the means of production, all that type of stuff. So if we look at the UK, we're currently in a capitalist state where there's more free markets, people could do as they please. So the rail companies, the energy companies, they're owned by individuals, they're private companies. Whereas in the last general election, 2017, Jeremy Corbyn, he's more of he's more into a socialist um method of politics and economics he wanted um the labor party if they were to be victorious to take control of of the rail companies as well as the energy companies and when i say take control i don't mean literally that the labor owns it it's in the hands of the people the taxpayers currently i think that the royal mail that's under obviously state ownership obviously the national health service state ownership Whereas socialism is like across the board. And I'm personally not a fan of that. I think it's highly inefficient and ridiculous, but that's the story for another day. So back to the background of the Venezuelan crisis. So as I said, the last 20 years has been governed by the socialist PSUV party. From 1999 to his death in 2013, Hugo Chavez was president. He was succeeded by a fellow called Nicolas Maduro, who narrowly defeated his up candidate in elections. During um, this time in power, the PS PSUV managed to gain control of many key institutions, including much of the judiciary, so that's the people who make the um, laws, the Electoral Council and the Supreme Court. When the ops finally gained majority in the legislature, the National Assembly, President Maduro created a rival body made, exclusive to, made exclusively of government supporters and the powers that which supersede those as the National Assembly. So, check this, yeah. The opposition finally gained majority in the legislature, yeah, which is the National Assembly. So, the President Maduro is like, you know what, yeah, I'm going to create something, I'm going to put all my, all my um, supporters in it, and it's going to have more powers than the National Assembly. During his time in office, the Venezuelan economy absolutely collapsed, which we'll get into, and shortages of food and medicine became just widespread. So imagine just basic food and medicine in the UK was just in mad, mad shortages. Like, it was rationed out. We simply couldn't imagine that. So there was an election last year, and Mr. Maduro was re-elected to a second term in elections, which many, many, many people believe were rigged. Obviously, he was sworn in and, uh, in um, 10th of January this calendar year. And with the prospect of another six years of the Maduro government and with the economy in free-for-all, the head of the National Assembly, Mr. Juan 
Guiado declared himself interim president on twenty on the twenty third of January. So I was like, listen, the streets the streets of the streets is done. We ain't finna have you for another twenty for another six years, doing six more years of your fuckery. So guess what? I am the captain now. Look at me, sure. Look at me, sure. I'm the captain now. So, it's getting really, really, really sticky in um, Venezuela. So, as I was saying, Mr. Guado jumped in. I was like, nah, I'm the captain now. And he argues that M M Maduro is a usurper and that a president is therefore vacant, which in case the constitution, which is the legal um, legislation that states the rules of governance, really, and democracy in the country, um, it calls for the head of the National Assembly to step in. The United States, of course, always getting involved, and more than other 50 countries, have recognised Mr. Guado as the legitimate leader of Venezuela. But Mr. Maduro, the one who won the elections by hook and crook, has key allies in, guess who? Russia and China. You see how power works? There's always, certain men are always siding on certain sides. You get me? It's interesting. Um, so China and Russia have stood by Mr. Maduro, the guy who finessed the elections, and the United States and 50 other nations have stood by um, Mr. Guiado, who should be the legitimate leader of, the, of Venezuela. The, stu the two sides have been locked off in standoff since, what, January this year, so that's six months and counting, with Mr. Guiado trying to sway the military, a key player in the country, to switch to um, his, his, his allegiance. So not too long ago, 30th of May, he called on the security forces to join him in the final phase of removal of power from Mr. Maduro. And which obviously that man were like, this is a coup, blah, blah, what's going on? So if you want, in terms of countries that recognize who and who, I'll give you some more examples of who's on whose side. So on the side of, the, of Mr. Maduro, the brother who finessed the elections allegedly, you've got Russia, Belarus, China, Iran, Syria, Turkey. They all tend, and Cuba, they all tend to be on similar sides on similar issues. Um, obviously, Nicaragua and Bolivia. In terms of men who are going with um, Guiado as interim president, United States, Canada, UK, Italy, no, not Italy, um, Portugal, Spain, France, Germany, Australia, Brazil, Argentina, Chile, loads of different countries. Italy is out here calling for new elections, as is Ireland. And obviously Venezuela, they're just stuck in the middle. So you've got all the background of the Higgy Hagger. As you know, this economics is all about making economics and political slash social um, issues relevant, relatable, and entertaining to the average person. So, how does it affect the people? Every, these people are affected every single day. About 3.4 million people have left the country to find work, food, better healthcare, and stability. 3.4 million people. That's like the populations of like almost Birmingham and Manchester combined. Just dipping out of the country. According to estimates, it's a, there are suggestions that between four, anywhere between four and eight million 
Venezuelans have left their home since 2014. So in the last, what, five years, the about the population of London have dipped out of the country. If you inquire why most Venezuelans are leaving, it's because the effects of years of violence, lackage of food, lack, lack of medicine and hyperinflation have simply become un unbearable. And when you talk about hyperinflation, hyperinflation, okay, inflation is basically the general increase in the, in the price level. And economists like to say, basically, it's the, cost, the, uh, it's the cost of living. So if there's hyperinflation, that means the average price level for goods and services in economies are going through the roof. And if that's happening and it's going way above the pace of wages, that means the things you buy on an everyday basis are costing more and more whilst your income is staying the same. So you literally can't afford it by every given day. It's crazy because Venezuela was once considered one of the richest in Latin America, thanks to having massive um, oil reserves. I believe um, Venezuela is part of OPEC. But obviously, with a decade of decline in oil revenue and absolutely shambolic governance, the natural economy, the national economy, has collapsed, and the government hasn't even been able to provide adequate social services. So, despite this socialist um, ideology. If you're still effing up your economy, you still can't even deliver what you want to. In terms of alleged equal living for every man or woman in the country. If you look at the United um, Nations, they, they estimate 94% of the 28.8 million people live in poverty. 94%. And there's estimated 2.8 million people in need where it comes to healthcare, including around 300,000 people whose lives are at risk because they've been able to access um, med um, medicines and treatment for diseases like cancer, diabetes, and HIV for more than a year. Imagine 300,000 people, almost the size of Leeds, not being able to access treatment for things such as cancer and HIV for more than a calendar year? Unheard of. We look at water, sanitation, beg my pardon, and general hygiene. F over 4 million people are in need of help. 4 million people. And the shortages in food have left almost 2 million people in nutritional need. And obviously, when there's immense poverty, lack of opportunity, what does this lead to? Crime. There is increasing levels of violence. UN estimates that 2.7 million people in Venezuela were vulnerable to this. Over 1 million people, over, sorry, over 1 million children are currently not in school due to the crisis. Imagine that. Many families cannot even afford basic clothing. Footwear or transportation required to take their children to school. Instead, children are hustling with their with their fam with their families trying to, you know, make make ends meet. And another million will find highly vulnerable to be dropping out of school. This is honestly heartbreaking stuff. Now, when you've got very, very weak infrastructure, um political crisis, violence. 
corruption is definitely, definitely going to be local. With much of the country on the verge of starvation and billions of dollars at stake, food trafficking has been one of the biggest businesses in Venezuela. And from generals to foot soldiers, the military is at the heart of corruption. According to documents, interviews with more than 60 officials, business owners and workers, including the five former generals, this stuff is happening on a day-to-day basis. Look at this quote. By putting the military in charge of food, Maduro is trying to prevent soldiers from going hungry and be tempted to participate in an uprising against increasing, increasing unpopular government, said retired General Antonio Rivera. Venezuela's military has a long history of coups against governments and Maduro has arrested several officials for, legi- for allegedly conspiring against him from within. So he's making sure the military man them are eating good because they are what's keeping him still in power. And this came from um, Al Jazeera. So according to the New York Times, since the mid-2000s, during Chavez's presidency, Venezuela has had a housing crisis. Once one of Latin America's most developed, developed um, cities, Caracas now grapples with acute housing shortage of 400,000 units breeding, breeding building invasions. Man, I've run up in buildings because they need places to stay. According to Bloomberg... Venezuelan government has some interesting ideas in how to stimulate the national, the national housing market. A new law that forces homeowners to sell their rental units to tenants. So let's say you own five homes, you've been grinding hard, you and your wife, or you and your husband, shall I say, or your family, or you as an individual, you've worked hard, made some good decisions, and you've got like five homes on your portfolio, you're feeling nice, obviously you need one home to live in, but you rent out the other four, for a little passive income. Well, a new law say, listen, you have to sell those renting units to the tenants. Anyone that owns three or more properties and has a rental unit for more than 20 years must sell it to a fair price, for a fair price. And that's determined, and the price is determined by the state. So, if you own one or two or three homes, men are forcing you to sell at their price. That is insane. Landlords who fail to do so can face fines or better yet lose their homes altogether. So we discussed housing, we've discussed healthcare, we've discussed education, we've discussed crime. What about employment? Again, this is coming from Bloomberg. Venezuelans, Venezuela's employment rate is rising to levels unseen in the world since the Bosnian war crime war came to an end which was like, what, in the late 1990s? According to the IMF, they estimate joblessness joblessness at 44% in 2019, and it'll be almost 48% in 2020. So according to the International Monetary Fund, almost one in two Venezuelans who are are at the ages and um, um, health ability that will enable them to be able to work, won't have a job. Imagine that here, one in two people aged ages 16 to 65, jobless. How does this impact the economy as a whole? Well, the size of Venezuela's economy has halved <laughs> in a space of six years, according to new projections from the IMF. 
Further contractions are expected this year to bring the cumulative decline in GDP since 2013 to more than 50%. It used to be one of the richest countries in the region, as I said before, due to its abundance in crude, um, crude reserves. But it's been rendered virtually unable to extract and export oil. If you look at... Um, Oil in a bit more detail. The oil production took another downturn in March 2019, as wide as widespread power out, outages crippled and crippling U.S. sanctions took their toll. So obviously, U.S. imposing political sanctions on them because of what's going on, mixed with the power outages, is damaging your oil production. Their oil production fell staggering, 289,000 barrels per day from February which amounts to a 36% fall since January. So in what, in one quarter, oil production fell by more than a third. Absolutely bonkers. And this is according to OPEC data, so it's not even higgy-hanger. US and Canadian authorities have even added another batch of sanctions on top against the Venezuelan government in April, most notably targeting the country's central bank and several high-ranking officials, including a foreign minister. So, when Chavez was last elected, let's say that's early 2000s, the GDP was growing about 4%, hit highs of almost about 18% in, what, 20, no, 2005-ish. And even after the financial crash, there was still GDP growth of over 5% up until 2012. Outside his first year in government um, with Maduro, GDP has been falling massively. Current drops of over 15% as of 2018. The IMF also added that Venezuela, the Venezuelan situation is considerably is a considerable burden for the growth of Latin America as a whole. Experts of the World Bank have called the situation in Venezuela as the worst crisis in modern history of the region, which is terrible. Earlier in the pod, I mentioned inflation. When we look at inflation... It's probably the biggest problem impacting the average Venezuelan because that's that's on the ground, bro. Like that's what you face every day. Prices. We always buy goods and services every day. It's part of our lives. And obviously, people and businesses are also impacted by this. The annual inflation rate <laughs> reached one point three million percent in 12 months leading up to November 2018. For context, in the UK, there's a thing called Target 2.0, where the central bank, which is um, the Bank of England, target an an inflation rate of 2%. Venezuelans were experiencing an inflation rate of 1.3 million percent. By the end of 2018, prices were doubling every 19 days on average. So imagine, yeah, on the 1st of Jan, a loaf of bread, co- a loaf of bread costs £5. On the 20th of Jan, a loaf of bread... Okay, no, no, not say loaf of bread, because what loaf of bread is costing £5? A loaf of bread costs £1. On the, t- on, the 19- on the 20th of Jan, a loaf of bread costs £2. Early February, it now costs £4. You're thinking, huh? What's going on here? Many, many Venezuelans were struggling to afford basic items such as food and toiletries. In April 2019, 
the IMF estimated that inflation would reach 10 million percent by the end of 2019. This is absolutely bonkers. And when you look at what inflation was when Chavez was elected, it was still extremely high. You're looking at 20%. And when you look at his period up until Maduro was elected, so you're going from 2002 to 2012, in that decade, it peaked at 40% and kind of stayed in between 15 and 40%. Still crazy levels of inflation. Now you're looking at 1.3 million. This is a crazy, crazy, crazy crisis. And it's very, 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 very unfortunate for the people of Venezuela. And it just kind of helps us put things in perspective. Like when we're throwing food in a bin, when we're buying stuff on Amazon or ASOS, we don't even really care about it. We don't even return it, just leave it there. Like, it's good for us to be thankful for the lives that we live. And it's literally by chance. It's by chance that you were fortunate enough to be born into countries like the United Kingdom or regions like the United Kingdom, shall I say, where we don't really have it that bad. It's always good to put things in perspective, I like to say, man. Like, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. And it's also good to make sure we hold our governments accountable that they never, ever, ever get to this level of power where... Because this is what happens. When you give people this much power and autonomy, corruption misconduct bad decisions come and it's just so terrible for the people of venezuela that they have to go through this so if you have spare clothes clothes that you don't use you can't be bothered to sell them on depop give it to charity donate it man like don't just waste food like i know this sounds bare hippie-ish but because obviously you've you've you know worked for the money or you've been given the money by somebody's worked for it able to afford it but man it's, it's crazy out here so yeah a more solemn dysonomics podcast this week please leave your reviews on apple podcasts follow on soundcloud and spotify the social media at underscore at underscore nomics on twitter and on instagram at dysonomics and inquiries hello at dysonomics.com and until next week peace Podcast Network.